Y'all doing okay? Especially those of you who got here a little early. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here, my goodness. The world is just nuts. It's so good to be a Christian to know what's going on. <laughs> to make sense of it all. Mark chapter 6 is where we're at. Mark chapter 6. We left off, Jesus is employing his kingdom strategy. That kingdom strategy applies then, it applies today for you and for me. And so, um, we want to employ what Jesus is doing. Last week, we discovered this kingdom strategy was all about the multiplication, this effectiveness of empowering people to carry out his message. Not yours, it's not mine, it's not something that you and I get to make up, it's something we conform to with our lives the joy that comes from knowing him, the joy that comes from being redeemed by him and all of what that means. And from Mark's text, we discovered those kingdom principles apply still today. However, there's a huge difference from the context of Jesus' day in which he was the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, Matthew five seventeen says. Therefore, the Jewish ceremonial laws were done away with. They've been done away with shortly after Jesus was resurrected and taken back into heaven with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Nothing has been the same since. And yet the moral law or the Levitical law or the moral code still applies to us today. And so what Jesus was battling in his context in presenting the message was a religious culture focused on all the externals. You do these certain things and you and God are good doesn't reflect anything about what's going on inside your heart. It's just do the externals and, and you're good to go. That's what he came to destroy. And that is not new in the sense of faith in any other religion. And We are facing the same battle, this internal-external battle in our context, but it's just different, different. Our context, we are not a Jewish nation. We don't have a Jewish history. We have a completely different history that has to apply these same principles in the 21st century. What are we facing? What is the religion of the day? It's secularism. That's what we are facing today. Maybe more so than all of church history, um, a more or uh, greater pernicious, virulent, baneful enemy of what Christ is and what he stands for is secularism. Even during Jesus' day, even, even Roman culture, the most pagan culture at the time, at least at, at that level, they believed in a God or lots of gods, and at least giving mankind some kind of way to, to latch on to some sort of spiritual meaning in one's life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for he, meaning Jesus, must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Paul's getting that from Psalms 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, which is where he is to this day, until I make your enemies your footstool. See, the Bible describes Jesus as ruling and reigning presently, currently, over all the earth until all of his enemies are placed under his feet. Then the end comes. You and I, I believe, have not faced such an enemy as what we are facing today in that of secularism. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan, uh, you may be thinking the abolition of man if you've read that. 
See, secularism imbibes that you have evolved. You have no intrinsic value. You have no intrinsic meaning in and of yourself other than what you give yourself. You are, as if you are a Star Trek fan, ugly bags of mostly water. Right? There you go. You, again, have no meaning other than what you determine in and of yourself, in your self-sovereignty. So therefore, can be, there's no resurrection at that point. There's nothing that what Jesus ascribed in that that means anything. And see, Jesus and what he taught and did teach is beyond foolishness to our present culture. My kids, your kids, my grandkids now, in a secular system, a government education, are being catechized in that faith. See, secularism is the unbelief in every area of life, all of it. It's rebellion of the grace of God at every point in life where you live, work, and play. It's just the opposite of what we have in faith in Christ that is meant to permeate all aspects of life. You don't get to compartmentalize it. It's not, I'm, I do this church thing and that's in this little box and then I go do the rest of my life. That's not how Christianity is or how it works. It permeates every aspect and every corner of your life. Whatever God's word says, they say no. Whatever the world in whatever God's general revelation is, he gives us his general grace, they say no. See, Paul said to Timothy in the last days, there will become times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves. And have you ever seen people love themselves more than in the society we see today in what we know as secularism and how it's showing up? See, that's the enemy that must be and will be put under Christ's feet. That's why it's so good to be a Christian. I know this enemy is defeated already. I just, and you have, at this time in this moment in history, have to play a part in it and how we live our lives. And if you think there is no cost to you, beloved, that's a mistake. Don't make it. There will be a cost. There always is a cost. I was kind of thinking through that as far as history goes a dark time that I believe we are entering. For how long? I have no idea. But I don't think the Christians in Russia in 1918 had any idea that what they were caught up into was going to last for about 70, 80 years. Or China, presently, or North Korea, or any you know, other suppressive Middle Eastern country that is just vehemently opposed to Christianity, Jesus Christ, and what he stands for. All of our brothers and sisters in those places trying to make a living, trying to live faith out in the most oppressive of governments and peoples, crying out, how long will you wait, O Lord, to deliver us? We are not there yet, but Christ is still ruling and reigning from heaven. He rules and reigns with a rod of iron, and He dashes the nations who oppose Him. See, and that very fact frustrates the world because he cannot be reached. He can't be crucified anymore, in other words. So what does the world do? They try to burn him in effigy. See, if the world can't get to him directly on top of his holy mountain, then they will go to the valley where his people are. That's you and me. And they would do all sorts of things and take it out on his church. That's what's been happening since he left. 
There have been moments in history that we have experienced the blessing and the freedom to gather, to worship, to share the gospel. And so we as a people, I believe, better come to terms with the fact that we are in a battle. When God told Jeremiah to be strong and courageous, the idea that I, I'm not, I, I'll never leave you or forsake you, I'm, I, I'm with you. Joshua hadn't gone in and done anything yet. He is standing on the edge looking into the promised land and God is reminding him, be strong and courageous as he's going in. Hadn't done anything yet. Second, we need to be prepared and equipped to fight Ephesians chapter 6. And third, we need to be ready to sacrifice for the kingdom which you now belong if you've forsaken the world and come to Christ. Defected, in other words, repented of the old kingdom. See, that was last week. First, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, you, if you are, have been called out of the world. You are out of the kingdom of darkness and now in the kingdom of light. As Paul says, you are now a new creation. I am a new creation in Christ. I love that. I love being a Christian. Because I know what's going on. I can make sense of it all. I can fight the worry and the anxiety they have because I know. But it is a fight. You've been given a new direction. New affections. New purposes. New ordered loves. The old ones have been redeemed. They've been remade. How do they get remade and redeemed by what as a follower of Christ you are called to. So that was the first principle. You've been called out of the old sinful self, the old sinful world to a new life in Christ. And second, you have been called to proclaim what it was that gave you this new life. Meaning the gospel. Specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go and baptize the nations, as he said. That's the kingdom message. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which was broken, what needs to be restored to newness. That's the good news. That's what the gospel is, making heaven more crowded by baptizing the nations. So let me ask you something. What's broken in your life? What needs restoration in your life? <clears throat> My grandchildren... Not to mention they're just the cutest thing ever. <sighs> love them to pieces. And if you have some, you know that too. Because <laughs> they're yours. <laughs> but they love Legos. They absolutely love Legos. And I enjoy building Legos with them. Although the Legos I grew up with are a whole lot different there than what my grandkids kids enjoy today. Um, we still had them, and, but they were just in a box. You know, they're just, they were just there. Today... Um, the ones they get are these really elaborate kits. Have you seen those? They're amazing. Lego has done a good job at that. They come with directions. They come with a picture of what it's supposed to look like on the box. I had to just do that with my imagination. It was just like a tower, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> my oldest grandson has a Star or a, a Lego of, of Star Wars. He likes Star Wars. So he has a Death Star. That thing is at least, if not bigger, than the size of a basketball. It's big. It's absolutely big. 
And when they come to visit at Grandma and Grandpa's house, we have Legos too, and we get the kits and the directions and then sit at the table and build it all. And then when they go home, it gets torn back down again and gets put in a big bin. And guess what? Never, ever does it look like that again. <laughs> ever. Consider the relationships you have. How many of us have had a picture of what it was supposed to be like in a relationship? Like the one on the box. But in reality, they look more like a kit that wasn't assembled properly. Maybe you didn't follow the directions when it was being put together. Maybe you didn't even know there were directions to put it together. Maybe you actually did follow the directions in those relationships, but someone or something through no fault of your own or, or anything just stepped into your life and knocked it over and scattered it all over the floor of your life just so you could step on them all. Maybe what you built in those relationships you built because you didn't get all the pieces in your kit to begin with when you grew up. See, maybe your childhood wasn't what God designed. Maybe you didn't have a safe place to see, to learn, to grow. Didn't have an example of what to follow to actually build. So you just built, and you discovered those relationships are broken. Some of us maybe have a totally different set of circumstances. You felt you were building right. You had the directions, meaning biblical foundations. You had this godly ideal of a good home and a period of time in your life. Your relationships, your family, they just seemed headed all in the right direction. But then along the way, it changed somehow. It changes in a great way. Death of a spouse, child. Watching a terminal illness stop your dreams you had that you were going to spend with your spouse and retirement or kids moving out and you don't recognize each other anymore. A prodigal child who no longer believes who Jesus is. Maybe it was infertility for you. What seemed like a lifetime of being in a hospital due to your newborn's complications, the loss of a career, bankruptcy, addiction, whatever your circumstances was, it's broken. But you are building the picture on the box. See, every relationship, every family will struggle with areas of sin and destruction. No one will go untouched in this world, no matter what picture was supposed to be on the relationship box of your life. It never seems to measure up to our expectations. And so we try to navigate through the sorrow in those relationships, through the pain, picking up the Lego pieces, as it were, quoting God's word, if you will. Everything happens for a reason. And when we get to the other side of the mountain of the suffering and the pain, you're finally going to have that baby or you see this joy of recovering from illness. When your marriage gets knit back together, 
when you have that relationship with your grandkids that you didn't have with your own kids. That's what needs to be redeemed. The sin that easily entangles us and runs down the middle of each and every one of our hearts. See, the problem is is that God never said that. The problem is God never said everything happens for a reason. How well do you think that goes over to those who are mourning their children in Texas right now or in Oxford a few months ago? See, that's just bad theology, and we need to stop using that. May I suggest we need instead to say anything can be redeemed. The Redeemer is the person of Jesus Christ. It's what He came here to do, to take you and I out of the world and kingdom of darkness and bring us into His marvelous light. And what redeems is His gospel, His good news. That's what redeems. He is all of that. He embodies all of that. Christ's redemption begins with the worst thing. And the worst thing is that you and I are enemies of His. That's the worst it gets in all of life, this life, all of eternity. And He redeems that. Your sin, your sentence of guilt, and your judgment of hell that is over you apart from Him. And if He can redeem you from the worst thing, then He can redeem you from anything else in life. Whatever you and I have to face in it, in Him. How does He do that? It's the gospel. And that's where we left off last week. What is it? Why do you need to know it? And how do you go about sharing it? I just want to walk you through that this morning. What this is. All the gospel means is the Greek word just means good news. Glad tidings. Specifically in reference to the good news of Jesus Christ. You may have good news. Hey, you know, like we're going to have a baby or I got a new job. And that's all good news. That, that's your gospel. But this is specific to Jesus Christ and specific to your redemption of those relationships, the redemption of the sin in your life to make you white as snow. So the question becomes, and the greatest question you have to ask is, who is Jesus Christ? What is his good news and why do I need to know it and hear it? Who is he? See, your understanding of that question is the foundation to everything else in life, your values, your lifestyle, your eternal destiny, hinges on this one question. Jesus, from the beginning, the moment he stepped into this life has been a lightning rod of history. Everything focuses to him, points to him. Everything that's going on in our culture is this affront to him and the church. Everything that is happening to you and I this moment in our culture, in this present time, is because of him and the people that love him. Most don't even want to entertain the question to begin with, or they don't know what to do with him. And during his time on earth, it was the same issue. Many thought he was just a wise man. He's just a good teacher. He's just a good guy. He, he says some good, helpful things to people. Many of you remember, when we, and earlier in Mark, remember his family thought he had lost his mind because of his claim to be God. The governing elite in the Jewish culture saw him as a threat, a political threat to, to their power, the religious traditions. And then the masses couldn't decide or they just didn't care. John chapter 6. 
what Jesus said about himself is that he is the image, the very image of the invisible God. John chapter 10. I and the Father are one, he says. And he set out to prove the very claim with his life and what you see revealed to you in Scripture. But still, many think he's just, he's just a good teacher. He's just, you know, it's just good ethics, good morals. There's nothing more, nothing less. He's just another one of those religious gurus in history. Even his enemies understood and knew his claim of being God. They knew they were true, which is why they did everything to kill him. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says, You can shut him, Jesus, up as for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to you. He didn't intend to. You have to decide who he is. And not deciding is to decide. Therefore, if Jesus is the very nature and character of God, he is perfect, he is holy. In every sense of our understanding that you and I can grasp with that term, that comes from Isaiah chapter 6, if you remember. Not only that, he is pure, he is holy, unlike you and me, because we are not. We can't even think in those contexts. He can't commit evil, he doesn't approve of it, James chapter 1, verse 13. And as God, Jesus is the very nature and character of him, Colossians 2. In him the fullness of deity dwells, all of it in his bodily form. He is Perfect, Hebrews 4.15. Not even his enemies would disprove him otherwise, John chapter 8. If you're concerned about holiness, it's just living up to God's standard. That's holy. He is the standard. His moral law, which he requires all people everywhere to come to live out, to live up to. 1 Peter 1.16 says, You will be holy, for I am holy. Anything less than that is what the Bible calls sin, falling short of God's glory, missing the mark, Romans 3.23, which says all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. That failure to obey the nature and character of God's holiness now places everyone in danger of His wrath, His eternal judgment. See, the truth is, we are by nature not able to obey because we don't have the will or the capability to do so. Yet we are still responsible for our own sin and our actions. We are by the same nature enemies, rebels, guilty of not living to that standard. There is no man who does not sin, 1 Kings eight forty six. Since that is our nature, my nature, we are incapable of doing anything to change that. Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing what is evil. This doesn't mean, however, there's not some sense of morality. Everybody has one. Remember this? Nobody's neutral. Everybody has a standard. You just have to press and ask questions to find out where it is and how they're drawing from that. But everyone has a standard. Everyone has capabilities of acting toward one another in kindness. But that's not the standard. It gets confused for the standard, but that's not the standard. 
the standard is God himself. And we are incapable of understanding to love as he loves, to please him, to live out him on our own. There is no one righteous. There is none who attains him. Romans 3, 10 through 12. God is pure. He demands holiness or justice. And if not, then punishment and death. The soul who sins will die, Ezekiel 18.4 says. So what is most difficult for us is we don't apply God's standard, but we have the sliding scale, I think, in our culture and in our lives. Well, I'm not that bad, right? I don't do that, or I haven't done that. And who do you always appeal to? I mean, listen to our governing officials. Who do they, you know, <clears throat> who do they throw around the most? Everything that happened in 1930 and 40 in Germany. Well, at least, you know, or, or, you're a Nazi, you're Hitler. I mean, that's the sliding scale. What they don't understand is we're all worse than that. And don't recognize how deeply sinful we truly are. What we're actually capable of as a human being. Jesus Christ is the good news because that's the bad news. That's the bad news in our sinful nature, our sin problem. And we look anywhere and everywhere to stop the consequences. See, the good news that comes, and this is why it's good news, this is why it's glad tidings, because that's you and me. And if you don't understand that, the good news means nothing to you. This is why Jesus is just a good teacher. Remember, you just don't ask your friends, hey, I've got this really cool doctor, you should come meet him, because he's so nice. Nobody goes to a doctor just to meet the doctor, do they? And all you guys in here wait till you're on your deathbed before you want to go, don't you? But when it's time, you'll go. Same thing. That's a physical example of a spiritual truth. Jesus is not just someone you want to bring people to to go, he's just a nice guy. You just got to get around him and get to know him. And you have to recognize how sinful you are and how hopeless you are and what that means. That's why when Garrison is about camp or, or all those things when you get students away or when you get away, you get away from the noise and all the, the, the things of this world to quiet your head and immerse yourself in who is. It's amazing. That's why I so enjoy taking kids and students out to Colorado because you get away from it all. There's nothing out there other than you, a little group, the disciple, and Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we go. And I'll be honest, I just love being in the mountains. <laughs> but it's transformative because of that. See, the good news is Jesus is the only one who can fix the problem. He is the only one who can offer forgiveness and change us into something new. Not from all the externals, but from the inside out. To be a new creation in Christ. Because God, in his very essence of nature, he says is love. And not how we define it, but how he defines it in 1 John 4. So he provided a way to save. He provided a way for someone as wretched as me to be redeemed into his marvelous light. That's the good news. That saves me from the penalty of what I know I deserve. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I deserve. And it's not what he's giving me, but because he is loving, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because it glorifies him. Not to have me in heaven, but what he did in Jesus Christ to save, to redeem a people. See, God's holy justice demands death for sin, but his 
Love provided a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. He's the one who paid the penalty. He's the God who said, this is what you live up to. He's declaring it as he's sitting and judge over all the world in his, with his gavel in hand, and he pounds the gavel, declares you all guilty. Then he gets up out of his chair, goes down into the dock for you to take on his own punishment. So you don't have to. And sentences himself to death. So you don't have to. That's the gospel. Because of that action, Jesus satisfies God's holy justice, which then allows him to give grace so freely. To give it to those who would trust him to save. That's why Jesus is the only way of salvation. There is no other name in under heaven whereby you will be saved. None. And I know that's offensive to every other religion in this world. I can't help that. I just can't. It's what it is. And it's a call for you and I why we're being called to share and proclaim this to make disciples. See, most people believe that all of the religions will take you to God at some point. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one who comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. That's exclusive. That's what the truth does. The truth is exclusive. And that's why you and I are seeing this huge battle taking place, which we'll get to some of it next week, in our culture. Jesus didn't claim to be one of many ways, but the only way to God, because he is God. It's exclusive because he exists, and he's the only one who has power over life and death. There is no other one who does that and has that. And since death couldn't keep him, it means the revelation of why he could be resurrected means he was sinless, meaning he was enough payment for you and for me. His sacrifice was acceptable. And he is the only one who can forgive sins in that way to make you holy before God, even though you know and I know we are not holy apart from him. We can't. 21st century belief is humanity is just the result of evolutionary processes. But the Bible says God exists and all creation was created by a personal loving God to honor, to obey, to serve, and to be in perfect fellowship with Him, to experience Him, him. And the ultimate human flourishing. The Bible also says that Jesus is the one who did that creating in John chapter 1 and Colossians 1. He owns it, He rules it, He's all of creation, all of it. Every inch of this universe belongs to Him. Every inch that you're here this morning, and probably more importantly, he owns you. That's what Psalms 103 says. And when we come in sinners and understand our desperate need for someone who can save, that Jesus is that person, and we owe our allegiance to him and our obedience to worship to make him Lord of our life in every area of our life, 
the means in which you and I have been made, have been saved and made new by faith, it actually saves you. It actually changes you. For grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. True faith in Jesus Christ always is accompanied by a few things. Do you believe that? Do you believe Him? Do you confess Him with your mouth as Lord and Savior? Do you believe in your heart that, he raised him from, that God raised Him from the dead? Romans 10, you will be saved. Confessing means this, this loyalty to Him that I'm, redeem, I'm, I'm turning my back again on, on the other world that I have. It's this loyalty and submission to His authority, all of His authority that you and I are meant to submit to in Him, believing in and that He did some things, trusting Him the historical fact of His life, that He was here, where He is now, His life, death, and resurrection. Philippians 2, 10, Romans 1 Acts 17. And when you come to that, this understanding of, I no longer want my old life, and you repent of that, you defect from your former lifestyle, from your former ways. He gives you new loves and new purposes and restores and redeems the old ones in those relationships, just like the legs that got torn over and trashed. Or no matter what that was for you, no matter what you built, He redeems it all to make it His to make it what he wants to be. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And finally, you'll be baptized in his name. See, it's not enough for you just to have this mental assent to believe certain facts, these externals about who Jesus was. Satan does that. The demons do that, James chapter 2. But they don't love and obey him. Faith that saves is obedient, Ephesians 2.10 says. See, Jesus is the Savior and Lord. He's sovereign over all things, over your life and mine. When you receive Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, submitting to His authority over your life and obedience to His word by faith, you are secured in Him. You are a new creation. That's the gospel doesn't mean you're going to have this perfect life in this life. He makes that very clear. But you will discover and desire Him more. You will honor God with your life. And that transformation, or as the Bible uses the word sanctification, as you grow and mature in Him. That's why we say you need to belong to Jesus Christ. This is what that means. If you have not done that, you don't belong to Him. Death and hell are your eternal judgment until you do belong to Him. Once you belong to Him, now you grow in His likeness. You have however many days he has given you to do that, to find the joy in it, to be a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a grand, to work, and all those amazing things that he redeemed. You just don't chuck those, all those old things that you enjoy and used to do. He redeems them, makes them new. You don't necessarily have to stop the things you were doing. Some of them you will. <laughs> but he redeems you, transforms them. Those who refuse to face and submit judgment or submit to Jesus Christ, rejecting him, your only option is to face him as a holy judge. Whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God, John 3.17. See, God has fixed a day somewhere in history in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the person of Jesus Christ. The man whom he appointed 
having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, Acts 17.30. Second Thessalonians 1 says that the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on all those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the outcome. They will suffer punishment, eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and all of His glory and might. So the biggest question you have to answer is, who do you believe Jesus is? How will you respond? There are only two options. Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can set you free from the power of sin and death. Jesus alone can make you a new creation and restore you to a good standing with a just and holy God. Will you? Do you? I have a picture to kind of show you what that looks like. Because if you have, it's applied to you. It's, uh, I won't begin to pronounce the Japanese name for it. Kitsugi, maybe? But it's broken pottery. It's beautiful, isn't it? But it was broken. Just like the Lego set, it just needs to be redeemed. And they inlay gold to put it all back together. And then it's usable again. And it has more dynamic to it than maybe what it did before. It has a story behind it now because of all the brokenness in those relationships that you have had that need to be redeemed that need to be put back together to be useful again for the glory of God in His kingdom. I thought it was a fitting picture of what Christianity is meant to do. God doesn't get rid of the pottery. He just puts it back together for His purpose, for His glory. To be reused again in a mighty way. For people to look at all the cracks in your life and go, that's amazing where you are and what you've done and, and, and all you have to do is point back to who God is. Why is that so helpful? Let me close with this, Romans chapter 8. Here's what the gospel is doing and what this message is doing to you and for you. There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law Weakened by it, the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. That's the gospel. That's what you have been called to. That's what you have been called to proclaim. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into next week how we go about doing that because there's at least seven more principles. (laughs) But that kind of sets it up, I hope, for us. This is what you and I are called to be here in this place now, in this time. Father, thank you your gift of mercy and grace, the gospel as we know it and come to understand it. Father, I pray 
that each one of us would recognize that you have, one, called us out of sin and death, that we are now a new creation in Christ, two, that we would understand this gospel more and more, that you would open our hearts and minds to discern it more, to be able to understand it, to actually not just live it out in how you've transformed our lives, but to share it, to use words where we live, work, and play, and the people that you're going to bring into our lives this week. To be about discipling the nations, baptizing them. To enter in, in our brokenness, knowing that we have been glazed with gold by the cross of Christ, put back together for a new use, for your glory. To use the wreckage of our lives and everything that has come with it up until this point, to know that you and you alone can redeem it all. Father, help us to be that kind of people. To speak the truth to a culture that is so lost. To do it in love, but to do it with a veracity and boldness and fortitude and courage to stand up and be counted for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name.